Hello there, and welcome to KDL's Stump the Librarian podcast, where your friendly neighborhood librarians put their research skills to the test to answer questions from you, the listener, or your math teacher, a worm farmer, or your babysitter. I'm Jill, and I'm here with Liz. Hi, Liz. Hi, Jill. We love answering your questions, so please send them to us at kdl.org forward slash stump or email us at stumpthelibrarian at kdl.org. You can email us your thoughts on our answers too. We'd love to hear from you. Today's questions are very animal focused, so I thought I'd ask, what's your favorite wild animal, Liz? That's a great question, Jill. And I thought about it a little bit just now. And my favorite wild animal is a cheetah. And I'll tell you why. Okay, why? I like to watch those behind the scenes of the zoo type um, TV shows. Uh And I found out watching that, that cheetahs are very anxious animals. Oh. So um, I think we were watching one on the Columbus Zoo. And the Columbus Zoo, um, the zookeepers give them puppies. (gasps) Oh. And so these puppies grow up with the cheetahs, and they're the cheetah's comfort animal. Oh, that's so, so cute. Because cheetahs have comfort dogs, they are my favorite animal. Yep. And they're really beautiful. They are really beautiful. That's a great answer. What, what's your favorite wow. wild animal? <laughs> um, mine is a tiger. Oh, okay. And my reasoning is not nearly as cool. It's just because they're beautiful. They are beautiful. But also because cheetahs are super fast, but they also love to just lie around. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I think they're fascinating. They are. You know, really, I love all of the big cats. Mm -hmm. They've always been my favorite, but... You just kind of want to reach out and pet them, even though you know you shouldn't. Yeah, don't don't pet them. Don't pet them. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I'll just stick with the house cat as my pet. Okay, that's fair. Uh, Jill, do you have a do you have a question to start us off? Today? I do. <laughs> this question is from Brennan, age eight, from our Kentwood branch. The question is: Do worms have a tongue? It's weird, isn't it? It is a weird thing to think about. Yeah, I learned more than I ever thought I would about <laughs> earthworms while researching this question, um, and I even learned about myths that I believed, that I always believed as a kid and as an adult, and I debunked them. So I wonder if you've heard some of these same myths. So can I give you a quick myths quiz? You can. Okay. Question number one, do worms regrow their bodies if you cut them in half? I gotta say no, not in half. Like if they lost like the end of their tail or something maybe that's I'm gonna... exactly right <laughs> ding 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 yes I feel uh, like I've read that in a book you know I I just I don't know why I just always believed I think I heard it as a kid and I was like oh yeah they just regrow or they regrow two worms no they don't <laughs> uh, they can sometimes regrow their tail but even then sometimes they die okay so right. don't split them in half well, thinking they're gonna regrow ever. okay here's this one is exciting. Why do worms come out of the ground when it's raining? It's something about their air supply. If the water, the rain is coming down, like they can't breathe properly. So that is what I believed my entire life, my whole life, that worms come out because they can't breathe, but that's not it. I'm not going to tell you yet. I'm going to get back to that one, but I always (laughs) thought that too. And when I read the truth, I was like, 
in shock. <sighs> what is oh. this truth about earthworms? I didn't know. I can't wait. <laughs> okay, here's the last one. Do worms have a tongue? I think no. They don't. Okay. You're right. That one's not really a myth I've ever heard, but it's just such a funny question. It is. Do it's they have a tongue? No. Yeah. Like... Sesame Street, little slimy. I feel like he had a tongue. Oh, but yeah, he did. He was the puppet, or, you know, Muppet. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> Not real life. You guessed correctly, but my guess before the research was like, oh, yeah, they, they totally have a tongue. Oh, I don't think no, so. No, no tongue. Tell me more. Okay, I will. So earthworms, I want to talk about how they live and how they move, and then we're going to answer the question about why they come out of the ground when it's raining. So they don't have, these are the things they do not have. Arms, which we know that already. That'd be creepy. Um, yeah. Legs, no bones at all, no skeleton, no ears, no nose, and no lungs. Okay. And no tongue, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a long segmented body, and you can see those segments when you look at an earthworm. You can see the little segments. And those little lines, all of those little lines, those segments, they move independently of each other. And that is how an earthworm moves. They have very strong muscles and they have these tiny little hairs all over their body. I don't, do not think that you can see those with your eyes. You would need to, they're very little. You would need a microscope or I don't know, just pull that earthworm way up no, close to your eyeball and do peek at him. <laughs> so the segments move independently and then they stretch out a part of their body. They hold onto the earth with those hairs and then they move their body forward and that's how they move. Fascinating. Yeah. And those hairs are really strong. So you've probably seen, if you haven't seen it in real life, you've maybe seen it in a picture, like a drawing of a robin trying to pull an earthworm out of the ground and it's just coming. And the reason why it's holding on is because of its strong muscles and its hairs. It's just like holding on to the earth. No. Like, you can't get me. <laughs> Earthworms get eaten by lots of things. So they're pretty much just their prey. Their food. Yeah. <laughs> their food. So... That's how they move, which I thought was really interesting. And I watched a really cool SciKids video on worms, and it showed um, kind of in depth how they move. And I thought that was so neat and weird how muscular earthworms are. (laughs) They're strong. (laughs) So they don't have a a lungs, and they don't have a nose. So how in the world do they breathe? How do they breathe? Through their skin? Yeah, through their skin. So if you've ever touched a worm, which I have... Mm -hmm. Um, you'll find them a little bit slimy. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. They have to stay wet so that they can breathe through their skin. Um, and they can breathe even in water. Okay. So they can they absorb oxygen through their skin either in the air or in water. Um, so why in the world do they come out when it's raining? It's too, too wet. Yeah. That's not <laughs> it. Oh, I, is, I just don't know, Jill. <laughs> I, well, I'm going to tell you. So they burrow to make their homes and they kind of crawl all over the place. Um, and sometimes their homes get too crowded. Because they have other, they have baby worms and there's more worms in there. And they're like, I don't like this. It's too crowded in my house now. It's wormy in here. (laughs) So a rainy day is moving day because they can come out and move from one spot to another spot and their skin will still be wet. So that's why they burrow down in the ground because it's wet in the earth. And so their skin stays really moist and they can breathe. And then they come out because it's raining and they're like, I'm going to go find a new home. Sure. So they can move, they can even move through a puddle. Now, if some places you'll see dead worms on the sidewalk, it might be because the sun came out and they got trapped outside, or it might be because there's salt or chemicals in the puddle that they moved through and that is not good for them. And then 
that absorbs into their skin and then they might die. But they can uh, crawl through a, a puddle as long as it doesn't have those chemicals in it or salt, oil, gross things. So that's why they come out when it's raining. Yeah. Moving day. <laughs> <laughs> Time to pack up. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what they bring with them. I don't know. <laughs> Probably just themselves. Dirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So how do they eat without a tongue. Oh boy. <laughs> Guess what? They have the sense of touch and they have a sense of taste, even though they don't have any hands and they don't have any tongues. Huh. That's very weird. Worms are so interesting, but they eat dirt. Dirt has plant matter, dead animals, fungi, bacteria, other good nutrients that worms can use. Worms eat as they tunnel along their burrows. They have lip-like flaps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That I, I saw a close-up photo of that, and I was like, oh, that's weird. I yeah, it's very that. weird looking. And they use those flaps to push the food into their mouth. They don't have teeth either. So they use their throat muscles to push the food down their esophagus hole. Eventually, the food ends up in the gizzard of the worm. So humans don't have that, but that uh, is something that birds have and some other animals have. And what it does is it grinds the food up and allows it to be digested. So then the food just keeps going and eventually it goes into the worm to be used to have energy for the worm to move. And then it goes out the other end of the worm and that makes our soil really rich in nutrients. Lovely. I know. Uh, The worm poop is called castings. So, um, and it's really good for your soil. It makes um, it makes it uh, good for your garden. Mm -hmm. So you want to have worms in your garden. Not only is there castings good for your garden, their burrows are also good. They bring down oxygen. They allow for water to drain, and they kind of make space for all your plant roots. Yeah, so you definitely want worms in your garden. Do. Yeah. They're a good thing. They are a good thing. Thank you, tongueless worms. <laughs> <laughs> so I loved this video that I watched, Psy Kids Worm Video, and I linked it in the show notes. It doesn't have any information about worms' digestive system, so it doesn't talk about um, the worm tongues in there. Yeah, I have some other links that I looked at for that, but it's a really informative look at worms, and it shows how they tunnel through the earth, which I mentioned earlier, and that was extremely cool. And I, I just highly recommend that. But man, I learned some wormy stuff today. Did it make you feel kind of creepy to see them? Like sometimes it kind of gives you like that creepy feeling when you see things squirming around. Yeah. So that video didn't because it's all um, animated. Oh, so it's okay. just drawings of worms. But I did look at some photos of like especially a bunch of worms together. And oh. I was like, oh, that's kind of icky. <laughs> but worms, worms don't really creep me out. Some other things do more. Okay. Oh, well, we can talk about that another day. Yeah. Snakes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That was great information. Do you also, in addition to your worm information, have a fact of the day? I do. So I have a book here from our curious section, and it's called How Everything Works, From Brain Cells to Black Holes. This is a a DK book, and my fact today, oh, it's heavy. It's a big book. It is. Well, it's about everything. It's it's about everything. It has everything in here. Um, (laughs) And my fact today is about caves which I think caves are really cool. Me too. Um, And so this is my fact. Caves make the perfect shelter for many animals, from bats and bears to spiders and 
glowworms. I don't know if they have tongues or not. I only looked up earthworms. Um, due to their darkness, constant temperature, and protection, protection from the elements. The Mammoth Cave in Kentucky is the longest cave in the world. Wow. Have you been there, Liz? I, actually, I have. Me yeah. too. It was fascinating. It, it was. And I didn't see any bats, but I was really hopeful to see them. They're just enormous. Like, yeah. I think you can't really envision what it's like until you go there. And it feels like, I don't know. You're inside a room under the ground. Right, right. Yeah. It's so it's not like you're crawling in your crouch. Like, it's enormous. It's a really big cave. Yeah. It's cool. It's very cool. So this book is also very cool. There's some photographs and some drawn pictures and so much information on all kinds of topics. There's probably something in here you're interested in. There were definitely sections that I was not as interested in, like physics. (laughs) (laughs) Jill, you love physics. (laughs) But I do like the natural world, so I love the information about caves. Great. That sounds like an amazing book to check out. It was. So do you have a question for us today, Liz? I I do have a question. Of course I do. (laughs) My question comes from... Chloe, who is 10 years old from Gaines Township, and Chloe asked, what animals have opposable thumbs? So we're going to talk about thumbs. Aren't you excited? I'm ready. Two thumbs up. (laughs) Thumbs up. So I'm going to talk a little bit about thumbs, and then we're going to do a little bit of back and forth about if you think an animal does or does not have an opposable thumb. Okay, you're going to quiz me. I mean, we'll just chat about it. Okay, it's, not okay. a, it's not a quiz. I'm not too nervous. Breathe easy. <laughs> so the first word we needed to learn um, is called prehensile. So prehensile hands are grasping hands. They're hands that can grab things. So humans, of course, have prehensile hands, hands that can grasp. And the most imp- important part of a prehensile hand is an opposable thumb. And opposable means it can move independently of the rest of your hand. So just wiggle your thumb around. Like, you can move it in different directions than the rest of your hand. An opposable thumb allows for precision grip. So think about picking up something really small with tweezers maybe. Um, If its size in relation to the rest of the hand allows for it. Opposable thumbs can touch the tips of the fingers on the same hand. That's what an opposable thumb is. So some animals do have a thumb-like structure, but it's considered a pseudo-thumb because it can be used for grasping and climbing, but it can't truly touch the fingers of the hand. So there's animals that have an opposable thumb, just like a human. There are some animals that have kind of the structure of a thumb, but maybe isn't quite as fine-tuned. It can't pick up things like we can. Um, recently, the earliest known example of a species with opposable thumbs was discovered in China, and it was a kind of dinosaur. Oh. It was a pterosaur, so a flying dinosaur. Okay. And it's believed to be 160 million years old, and it has a long name, but they nicknamed it the monkey dactyl. <laughs> Because it has opposable thumbs. Because they did a CT scan, a scan of the bones, Mm -hmm. and it showed it had opposable thumbs that it likely used for grasping tree branches when it landed on something. So that was 
Wow. I know. Cool. It's really kind of funny to think about, but... So let's, you know, get into it. What animals have opposable thumbs? Humans do, of course. We already talked about that. And all primates have opposable thumbs. So some of the ones that we probably think about typically are great apes. Mm -hmm. Great, great apes. They, some of them even have opposable toes. Oh. So think about that. Can you think about, like, using your big toe to pick something. I mean, I I feel like I've seen that before. Like some people have really great dexterity in their feet and they can pick it up. Or if they have some, um, if they're differently abled and use their feet to draw or paint. Right. Some great apes can do that as well. Also gorillas, the largest of the primates, use their thumbs to grasp tools and they make beds from branches and leaves. Um, Gorillas have fingerprints just like people do. Oh. And opposable big toes, talked about that. They even use their thumbs to communicate. So some gorillas have learned sign language and they use it. I mean, they, you can teach, a human could teach a gorilla sign language, okay. but they use a kind of a sign language with one another too to communicate. Like their own sign language. Yeah. Okay. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, that like is. they're so smart yeah. and they can use their thumbs to communicate. Mm-hmm. So, so there were some other um, primates, but I'm going to. I'm going to ask you, Jill, okay, a couple um, that maybe might have opposable thumbs and maybe don't. So, how about um, how about a koala? Uh, yes, koala. You're right. Does have okay. opposable thumbs? They koalas use thumbs to climb and to grasp eucalyptus, eucalyptus leaves. That's a tricky one. Yeah. And also, fun fact: koalas do have fingerprints. Oh, Just they like do. People do. Yeah. Huh. I learned that when I was researching that. I thought that was pretty fascinating. It is. How about um, an opossum? Think about an, oh. an opossum, you know, like we see yeah. maybe late at night and they have that long, kind of stringy looking tail. Does an opossum have an opposable thumb? Oh, boy. Is it? <laughs> Okay. It's not a trick question. Go with your instinct. (laughs) No. Okay. You're correct. They, they, um, opossums have that pseudo thumb. So they're, they have the structure, but it's not opposable like, like a human's or like a great. But can they can climb? Right. And they'll use it for grasping. Okay. Maybe for hanging on to all those babies that are, yeah, that's what (laughs) I was thinking. Or maybe the babies. Yeah. Um, how about a chimpanzee? Yes. Yes. Like great apes, they use thumbs for grasping tools mm-hmm. and for sign language as well. Okay. So I think that's kind of fascinating. How about a bird? Do you think a bird oh, has an opposable thumb? That's funny. Thumb? I was going to ask you about a bird after you talked about the <laughs> flying dinosaur. I'm right? like, what about a bird? What Is that considered? Bird? What do you think? Is it considered a thumb? I would say it works like an opposable thumb if it's considered a thumb. (laughs) (laughs) That's a roundabout answer. (laughs) Um, Most birds have at least one opposable toe on each foot. Okay. One toe. So think about a bird's foot. It's usually like... Yeah, two facing one way and two facing the other way. It's not a thumb. Yeah. It's not a thumb. Right. But it's it's kind of like that pseudo thumb. Like it has the structure, but it's not... They can't touch that. Oh, it doesn't claw. touch the other claws, right. but they can grasp things. Right. Like a little snake. 
kind of fascinating. Yeah. Um, okay. This one it might be kind of obscure, but have you ever heard of a polydactyl cat? Oh, yeah. I've okay. seen them. Okay. Yeah. Where, where have you seen one? Uh, Key West. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So if you don't know, a polydactyl cat is a cat whose paws have an extra... It looks like a thumb. It looks like a thumb. It looks like a thumb. It's really so, weird looking. Oh my gosh. It's really cute though. <laughs> I do think it is cute too. I grew up, my my grandmother lived next door and she had a cat that had that extra thumb. And yeah. I just, it was fascinating to me because it looked like nothing I'd ever seen it's before. It's really weird. Yeah. But is it a thumb? Probably not. It's it not. just doesn't move, right? Right. It's yeah. a, considered a pseudo thumb too. So it has that structure, but it's not yeah. going to be able to like pick up good thing because are naughty enough <laughs> oh my goodness so so you're doing really well oh, this phew. is great um yeah. some other animals that do have that opposable thumb orangutan so yeah. another yeah. kind of a primate um they use their thumbs to pick up fruit um what else bonobos monkeys yeah. mm-hmm. are, it's a, a smaller primate but they have hand gestures to communicate with each other too some of the animals that have the pseudo thumb are a, a giant panda. Oh, yeah. So that's one that people kind of get confused about whether they have a thumb. Um, red pandas, which okay. we have at our yeah. zoo. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an animal called a waxy monkey leaf frog. A frog, like oh, a tree frog. Yeah. That has that pseudo thumb too. It's the only the only non-mammal okay. that has an action, well, the pseudo-thumb. Right. What um, about a raccoon? Oh. Are they on your list? What do you think? Uh, I think it's probably a pseudo-thumb, mm. but it looks like a thumb. Mo- um, animals without opposable thumbs just that maybe get confused a lot. Raccoons, mm-hmm. that was on my list, and yeah. squirrels. Oh, Some people yeah. think squirrels because they can they hold, hold things in so their little small. hands. Yeah. No, they do not have an opposable thumb. Okay. Um, I, I did find some conflicting information about what animals have that actual opposable thumb and which have a pseudo thumb, but mm-hmm. I did my best. I looked at enough information that I feel like I separated it pretty well, but yeah. I mean, I, I did my best. But yeah. <laughs> I linked in the show notes um, a fun activity to try at home that shows why thumbs are important. Oh. So like taking a piece of string or something and wrapping your thumb and then trying to do some everyday activities without oh. it is really challenging. I watched a video about it and it, it was kind of fascinating. Like you yeah. kind of don't think about how much you use your thumbs until you have no use of your uh, thumbs. Yeah. Well, you think about like my dog will pick things up, but it's always with both paws right. because there's no thumb there. So you you could do all your household chores right. with your thumbs taped down, <laughs> pick up your cup of water with both hands. Right. It'd be, very, it'd be very challenging. Yeah. Though. Probably kind of messy. Yes, so check definitely. that out if you're looking for some enriching activities to do without your thumbs. Yeah. It'll be kind of a fun thing to so try. That sounds like a super fun thing. S- send us pictures of all the cups <laughs> of water you spill. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe do it outside. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So really interesting. Lots of interesting thumb facts there. Yeah, that was great. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> I'm glad. I just I do it for you, Jill. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks. So what are you reading today, Liz? Oh, you know, I thought I would share um, a chapter book with you. It's called Three Strikes Summer by Skylar Shrimp. 
And it is a book that once I started it, I could not put it down. It was so good. Um, it's historical fiction, which I just like on its own, but it was a good one. Um, it's like stepping into another time period. Uh, this story begins in the Dust Bowl of America during the 1930s, so it's very dry. There's a lot of wind whipping around all the time. Um, the main character, Gloria Glow, sees her father signing over the family farm to a banker. Their, oh. their farm has gone under. They have to give it away. They have to move. And so Glow picks up a rock and whips it at the car of the banker and smashes the windshield. And that's how the story begins. Oh. So you're like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so she has um, some impulse control issues, but also she has a wicked curveball. So she's really, she loves baseball. That's her passion. But Glow's family picks up in their truck and they head out to California to find work. Mm-hmm. They can't live on their farm anymore. And they wind up at um, a, a, fam- a farm with other families picking peaches. So it's a company farm, and everybody lives there and works there for this company. Um, the, they have to live right there on the farm, and the houses are really small, and they're not kept up well, and the sanitation is not great for so many people. They have to pay money to live on this farm to work. Oh. So they're not making money. It's dangerous because they're climbing these giant peach trees on this equipment that is not well-maintained. And also, Glow really just wants to play baseball. Like, she loves her family, and she wants to help them, but she knows that there's boys on this farm that are playing baseball when they should be picking peaches, and she knows she should be picking peaches, but she wants to go play baseball. So she's sneaking through the farm. She's going under the gates. You, you just have this sense of, like, this is not going to end well for her. <laughs> but I wanted to keep reading about it. So she has to find ways to get out and play ball. So um, the conditions are not great for these families, but they feel stuck. Um, there's secret meetings and flyers about forming a union. So that was a big deal at the time. They The companies didn't want them to form a union because then they'd have to pay them more and it was a big um, power struggle, and the families really felt trapped. So, yeah. um, you every you know that both of these situations, these families living together, and the baseball thing, it, it's going to come to a head, and there's going to be danger. So, um, there was a lot of anxiety and a lot of doom, like thinking that um, there was no way out of this situation. But I thought it was an amazing book. I hope that you'll read it and find out what happens to Glow and her family living on this farm. She's a really headstrong, spunky character and gets into a lot of jams, um, doesn't make the best decisions, which I appreciate in a main character. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) So hopefully you'll check it out. Three Strike Summer by Skylar Shrimp. Sounds good. It was a good one. All right. Well, Jill, what did we learn today? Because I think we're about ready to wrap up here. Did you learn something today? I think we we are ready to wrap up here. I, <laughs> I learned a lot of things today. Um, well, first of all, I this is an interesting one, but my favorite thing I learned today, I think, was about cheetahs <laughs> and their, their support com- comfort puppies. They just, like, roll around and play with them, and it yeah. makes them feel better. That's really wonderful. You should... 
definitely look at a video of that. I will be doing that. <laughs> 100%. That sounds wonderful. And I I mean, there were things I definitely didn't know about opposable thumbs, uh, but I have to the say, cheetah cheetahs, cheetahs and their comfort puppies. It's amazing. It is. Oh, it is. I learned, yeah. I learned about worms, a lot about worms. Oh, too that, much. Yeah. That they are muscular little beings. Like, I guess I never thought of it that way, but that they are muscular and strong and they will resist those birds by hanging onto the dirt. Yeah. Like, (laughs) don't let me out of here. Right. Stop. (laughs) That was great. Well, I think we both learned a lot today. We did. I I hope you, the listener, did too. Thanks for all of your amazing questions and helping us learn more about our world too. For more information or to send us your own question, head to kdl.org forward slash stump. Tune into the next episode where we answer more of your questions. Huge and special thanks to the KDL Programming Department, the KDL Marketing Department, and J.D. Delinsky for our intro and outro music. Thank you.